0: Welcome everybody back to my podcast. This is Yureli Gona, and today I'm interviewing Tamara Brady, physician assistant. So, Tammy, thank you so much for being a part of this. Sure. Um, I'll right. let you introduce yourself a little bit of you know what you do and your cultural upbringing. Okay.
1: Uh, I'm Tamara Brady, but I go by Tammy. Uh, I've been a PA for how many years now? years, worked in a variety of different practices, Um, private practices, community clinic, uh, different specialties, family practice, now I'm in urology. Um, I'm currently living in Napa and been practicing in Napa for uh, six years now, Mm -hmm. Um, but I did not grow up here. I'm from the South Bay, um, like San Jose area. Mm -hmm. Very Different in terms of demographics mm-hmm. and um, just general lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very different. Um, so, I mean, in terms of my cultural upbringing, uh, you know, like I said, I'm from the South Bay um, and the demographics are pretty different. Um, I don't feel like I can personally claim any kind of cultural background, which I think is... I don't know if that's common among basically white female mm-hmm. um, in this country and um, I feel like that's kind of common amongst a lot of us but I don't necessarily know maybe that's just my own personal belief mm-hmm. um, a lot of I would say my cultural upbringing has been more of the people that I've been associated with so being from the South Bay um, kind of a larger Asian population one of my best friends was um, Chinese another one of my best friends was actually um, Mexican her family was from it was like her grandparents were from Mexico or something like that. Um, and so a lot of what I considered to be my cultural experience and upbringing had to do with what I experienced with them going to their houses and, um, you know, like uh, helping with tamales for Christmas time um, with, my, with my best friend who's Mexican and then my other one, um, you know, going to her house and like taking off the shoes and, and yeah. you know, doing that whole sort of a thing. So it was, it, I don't really consider myself to be very culturally... Significant in some ways, <laughs> <laughs> but you're exposed to that right. I was exposed others. to yeah. our culture, so it's not like it was something that was a super weird idea. Mm-hmm. I guess in, in some ways. So um, yeah, I think I just had that. Just where I grew up gave me that unique opportunity. Yeah,
0: what do you define culture? What's your definition of culture? Um, so
1: I think a lot of that has to do with k- kind of like what I what I was just saying, but. Um, who somebody identifies as, the way you make decisions, the way that you raise a family, the way that you even sometimes choose choose to die. I've also mm-hmm. had experience in different cultures by going to different countries and mm-hmm. and experiencing, you know, the indigenous culture. And there was this really beautiful story about hammocks with this particular culture in Panama, for example, um, where they were basically born in in these hammock-type situations, and they were buried in this hammock that they were born in. And I just thought that was really beautiful. It was like a very full circle kind of life for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so culture is all of those things. It's not one particular thing. It's, every, it's just all of the decisions you make, mm-hmm. the way that you live your life. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest the best definition that I can give for culture. culture. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you think that culture plays a role in a person's health?
1: Yeah. Um, how do you
0: say that it would be how it, that it would affect somebody's health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so,
1: kind of, I think going back to um, like that indigenous culture, for mm-hmm. example, or indigenous um, group of people in Panama. So there, there's certain traditions. That they are used to a lot of it is because of maybe lack of exposure of like Western medicine right? Mm-hmm. so they kind of they they go about managing health thinking about health in a different way um, and so you know through healers and things like that um, unfortunately that also plays a role in whether or not somebody might seek more advanced levels of health and um, healthcare um, because if they're so used to having something that's much more traditional, um, sort of less hands-on and less interventional, then they might be less willing to actually go seek somebody else in more of that, you know, quote, Western medicine type of field yeah. because it might feel more interventional, might feel mm-hmm. scarier. Mm-hmm. Um, or that it's somebody's not going to necessarily treat the whole person, treat the whole body, but just like, oh, you've got this problem, let's just do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways that might turn people off getting yeah getting the care that they need
0: yeah. do you also think that socioeconomics plays a big role in the way that they come and access health care
1: yeah it does because traditionally speaking and um, from a public health standpoint a lot of um, groups of a lower socioeconomic status are in kind of, sort of congregate together they seem to be in certain in certain groups and a lot of access to health care is not in that area. It tends to be a lower, mm-hmm. um, basically, you know, economic class. And so because of that, healthcare unfortunately, is still business. And it's not as profitable because the people often don't have insurance or, or on state, um, like Medi-Cal or mm-hmm. Medicare or whatever. And so um, there's not as many places to go get care, which just inherently makes it more difficult, difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah um how does culture and social class affect your patients um, and then is there any way to fix or solve this issue yeah despite
1: our best efforts a lot there's a lot of preconceived notions by everybody we always mm-hmm. you know whether or not we do it intentionally and I think most of the time we don't do it intentionally but we see somebody and we develop some kind of idea of who that person is or what it is that they, you know, the kind of conditions they live in or the languages that they speak. And so um, I think that it has it has to do with a lot of that um, in terms of fixing it. <laughs> That's a complex question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the more education that we all have about yeah. people in general and what I think even also accepting our preconceived notions of people that, like, understanding hey, I have this this judgment on this person, but that doesn't mean that that's who this person is. Let me talk to this person and find out the story. I think that's one of the better ways to fix it, but that's a huge undertaking to like have everybody go to some sort of... Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you would need a lot of help there. Right, yeah. So, so good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Would you say that you have experienced this issue firsthand as a patient or somebody in your family?
1: like a lack of like what what issues specifically
0: Um like you being feel like your culture or your socioeconomic class has become a barrier to having access to healthcare. Um for me personally as a white
1: girl in America, no. <laughs> <laughs> um very you know I grew up kind of your your standard middle middle class mm-hmm. um and no, I haven't experienced any of that and it's sucks that I say that, but it's it's true. <laughs> I yeah. feel bad for saying that, but it's true.
0: <laughs> do you feel that because somebody is Caucasian, white woman or man, they have a little bit more privilege compared to other cultures? Uh, in this
1: country, I think depending upon where you are geographically mm-hmm. in this country, obviously, yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. Um, again, I think it comes back to that sort of preconceived notion and that somebody example, in Napa, um, somebody who is white is likely to be seen as somebody who's more affluent than mm-hmm. somebody who is Hispanic, who is they probably quote work in the fields and mm-hmm. don't have access to money, which in, is absolutely not true, because yeah, you know that's that's just not true. So yeah. I think it's it's yeah, it's really hard in that way. But.
0: As the healthcare provider. Can you eliminate your own prejudge or negative assumptions about certain type of patients based on their cultural and socioeconomic background? <laughs> I know that's a tough question.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that that's a hard one. Um, so, I, <laughs> no, I don't think that I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I, you know, there are certain things we shouldn't assume about people. We shouldn't assume that somebody who doesn't speak English well um is like hard of hearing, right? So oftentimes it's like somebody who doesn't speak English, we, we talk louder so that they'll understand us. Yeah. Um, but we also shouldn't base our, assume that somebody speaks a certain language based on their appearance. I have plenty of Hispanic friends who don't speak Spanish, and they're like, well, I, don't, I don't know, or have Hispanic names, and they don't speak Spanish at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of judgment that comes. As a provider, I'll see somebody's name, and I've, I've done it before, a new patient, and it looks like a Hispanic name, and I'll ask, does this person speak Spanish? Just because trying to go into it. Yeah. Um, but again, a lot of that has to do with where you're at and being in Napa, and there's a high, you know, Hispanic-Spanish-speaking population. It's something that, it, it, it just comes. like mm-hmm. it's, And so I don't think that you can get rid of these sort of prejudices. Um, I think it just depends upon, you just have to really work on framing it differently in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's also though some of them that I that I want to hang on to because um, it doesn't dictate how I'm going to act towards somebody whether you know their name is a certain way or they they look a certain way or speak a different you know certain language um, it just kind of keeps me humble and reminds me mm-hmm. that I need to pay attention to the cultural differences that might actually exist between um, you know in the interaction so mm-hmm. that I can. Make sure that I'm taking into consideration, um, you know, maybe access or ability to get to appointments, or you know, hey, let's do a Zoom appointment. Well, maybe you don't have access to internet, or um, you know, not necessarily assuming, but asking the question, making sure that I'm asking the questions and not not having that assumption, but realizing that I do need to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Right. So as much as I. Don't want to be prejudicial. I think it's important to have those ideas in our minds that we have to understand that there are differences that could potentially be a barrier to providing care.
0: Mm-hmm. You're fluent in Spanish. Yeah, eh. <laughs> <laughs> your your Spanish is pretty good from what I from what I've heard. Um, so, do you feel like even with your Spanish, do you feel like there's when tra- you know talking to patients? Sometimes you use a translator, sometimes mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah. But do you feel like there's still this barrier in a way when it comes to language from different cultures or if there's, like, things that get missed in translation and how does that affect kind of the patient's health? Yeah, there,
1: there are things that always get missed in translation, even with English speakers. Like, there's yeah. always something. And a lot of that has to do with just sort of how one explains themselves. So whether it be a patient trying to convey what their symptoms are um and then you know me asking the right questions instead of saying oh you're saying this which means that mm-hmm. kind of that whole active listening thing so like this is what it sounds like you're saying you know correct me if i'm wrong yeah um so even with english it can happen in spanish if obviously not i'm not a native spanish speaker it happens i think more often than not and so what i if i feel comfortable communicating with somebody if i feel like we're having a good conversation and i'm understanding what they're saying and i and then I pay attention a lot to their body language to see if they understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Body language speaks volumes, and uh, if I kind of get a sense where, you know, like, "Mm, I don't think that they really understand what I'm saying, or I just want to make sure that they understand what I'm saying, even though they're saying they understand what I'm saying, uh, I will have somebody either come in to kind of help translate to verify, or, um, you know, if I have to get a translator on the phone, do that. Because um, mm-hmm. it's very easy to, there's also certain words and certain phrases that you might say in, you know, it being translated from English to Spanish and Spanish to English that mean entirely different things. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I'm aware of that. And so that's also one of the ways that I kind of try to help.
0: And then there's also medical Spanish. Yeah. Which that is, for me, as of one Spanish speaker. <laughs> It's a whole other world that a a lot of patients don't know what you mean, so you have to simplify it. Exactly, yeah. And then that's a little harder because then there's some words that you're like, oh, that's what it means. But then I've noticed, personally, I feel like a lot of the Latino-Hispanics community that is here, they talk. It's like a Spanglish, where mm-hmm. they, they adapted an English word and and pronounce it in Spanish, but it's not the official Spanish word. Mm-hmm. So when they come to the doctor and you try to speak proper medical Spanish, they're like, "What? Yeah. Right? Have yeah. you encountered that before?" Yeah,
1: the word that comes to mind always is "panza." Yeah, like that one. And I'm just like, <laughs> "I don't, I don't understand what that word is.
0: What does that mean?" Yeah,
1: and it's it's you know it's it's a Anatomical. It's like the stomach.
0: And yeah. it's like, that's estomago is is that word. See, yeah. Like, so there's like, two yeah. Different, there's like two, three different words for one word. Right, exactly. And then I feel like that also, I think this is where maybe kind of the, miscon- the misunderstanding of what certain words mean mm-hmm. comes in. Even as a medical assistant myself, I feel that I'm like, oh, that's another word. I yeah. just learned another word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for you, I can imagine it's like... Oh, that's another word that I can add to the same word. Yeah,
1: it's like I said, that's one that's kind of like burning <laughs> in my brain. So I was like, what? but I kind of love that word. I don't know.
0: It's um, <laughs> yeah, a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's you
1: know that my Spanish is really only medically based. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to speak Spanish in the real world, it's actually much more difficult for me. Um, I took Spanish in high school, which is obviously your basic you know, kind of learning Spanish. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely know some words and I can communicate in some ways outside of side of the medical world, but that's where my Spanish, I feel, is most comfortable. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, having that conversation with somebody who is, its is, they're not trained in medical Spanish, Yeah. even somebody in English who's not trained in medical words, mm-hmm. like, having that conversation can be challenging sometimes, yeah. and so, and that's kind of where, it, where, you know, if you're trying to really communicate with somebody in any sense, right, you always have to kind of really pay attention to body language and how that conversation feels and just being very aware of how that conversation feels. Is that patient engaged or are they just kind of sitting there just like, you know, uh, oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, do they feel, does it look like they maybe feel like they're uncomfortable or, um, thinking about their answer before they, give it, even though it's a yes or no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So kind yeah. of really paying attention to how that interaction goes, mm-hmm. I think, is really important in being able to make sure that my patients understand what's going on, because without having that education of medicine, which they don't, which is why they're coming to see me, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't assume that what you're saying that they're going to understand, regardless yeah. of the language that it's in.
0: Yeah. Have you noticed that... A lot of non-English speaking patients speak body language, like it's more pointing where it hurts instead of explaining it. Yeah. Of like, oh, it hurts there, and they point. Yeah. Um. Is there? Do you feel that if you don't physically examine them, they feel like you don't really you didn't really examine them? Like, if you don't do a physical examination. Mm, That's a good question. Um. I, I do in some senses. I think
1: that um, there's also kind of a, a, a modesty. Being in urology, there's a certain level of modesty that that patients want to try to maintain, and so, um, and I want to respect and only really examine if I think that it's you know really pertinent if somebody ha- is having like overactive
0: bladder I don't need to like go in and look at their bladder
1: right <laughs> what like, got, like please don't take your pants off
0: <laughs> 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 like we're just talking about your bladder <laughs> what so about like a family care setting because I know you worked in family care yeah
1: um yeah I do think that for sure um if I don't actually if somebody is saying you know like um I, a lot of times it would be like stomach kind of a thing mm-hmm. um you know, if I don't really listen and take the time and, you know, listen to the stomach and put my hands on the stomach and really kind of push around everywhere, um, I do think that there's a sense that I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, even in urology sometimes, I think more of like the male population, they're very, sort of, they gesture- there's a lot of gesturing in yeah. terms of a very particular member and <laughs> um, very very descriptive gesturing. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I'll oftentimes they'll, you know, I've even experienced people standing up and kind of like, you know, grabbing themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's here, it's, it's here. here. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let me take a look. Go ahead and mm-hmm. pull them down and yeah. let me see what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I do think that.
0: As a female provider, do you get some kind of like, oh, you're a female, I prefer a male in urology specifically? Do you feel like... Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes.
1: I, I feel, honestly though, I feel like I experience that more in primary care mm-hmm. than I do in urology. And I mm-hmm. think the difference is, in urology, people are coming in to see the specialist for that area. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of cases, it doesn't matter if I'm a female or not they want me to fix them. They want me to tell them what's going on, figure out the problem. Yeah. And so I feel like male patients are more willing to have me do like a general exam mm-hmm. in urology than they were in primary care. Yeah, yeah. that's I've, interesting. Yeah, I thought about that a while ago actually because um, I think I was having a conversation with somebody and I was just like, actually, yeah, I do feel like they're much more willing. Even the erectile dysfunction question, mm-hmm. um, which happens a lot, it happened in both places, but I do feel like they're much more willing to have that conversation with me here than they were in primary care. It, it feels like they're less embarrassed mm-hmm. to have the conversation now. That's super interesting. Yeah, and I, yeah. again, I think it's because it of the sense, specialty, though. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Because they're like, yeah, um, this is why I'm here, so right. let's figure it like, out. Like, this is your job, <laughs> this is
1: your one job to yeah. do. <laughs>
0: Is there certain religious beliefs in a culture that act as a barrier for patients that you've experienced to kind of get access to healthcare, or be like, oh, I can't do that, or I can have a woman touch me because my religion doesn't allow me? Have you ever had any of those encounters? Yeah, um, I have. I think I don't really think I've had any of them here. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but a lot of it, I did have a, um, or maybe I didn't. I don't know. It's kind of blurring together, but I definitely remember there was a, a instance with a woman who, um, like, a Middle Eastern, like, descent, and, and her and her husband. She was wearing she was wearing a burka mm-hmm. and whatever religion, you know, that encompass, encompasses. Obviously, there's some cultural belief and religious belief there, um, and a lot of it was I would ask the women questions, mm-hmm. and I think I think this was primary care, and it was like a female related issue, um, but the husband was answering like it Mm -hmm. wasn't she wasn't answering he was answering for her but it was like like i'm trying to get the sense of like what's going on and you know like how to figure this out and talk to her so so even though i was a female it was still like that dynamic was interesting Mm -hmm. um and then i have had other instances where there have been women who will are only allowed to see women Mm -hmm. um and so um I, I haven't experienced because I am a female mm-hmm. like I haven't you know I, I'm not on that male side where it's like oh you know oh you're a man I can't actually I can't see you I have to go see somebody. So I've just sort of like heard I yeah I only want to see female providers you got know? it um, but yeah it can
0: Yeah. yeah Do you encountered that certain cultures kind of react differently to doing certain procedures or certain medications hmm I think I kind of come up with this sort of like there's a couple
1: groups of patients. So there's one, there's like the compliant patient that will take medication without any questions. Mm-hmm. It's like here, take this medication, and they're just like, okay. And then there's patient that will take the medication off and on, um, but mostly because they're not necessarily engaged in their health, mm-hmm. um, or kind of back and forth in the um um like they they feel okay or it's just like they kind of using other things as well um and then there's some people who will take the medication oh you give me a 30-day supply that must be all i need
0: right (laughs) yeah magically cured with these right you gave me 30
1: days i just i must not need any more And then there's some patients who just don't feel like they'll – who won't take it at all. Yeah. You'll give it to them. They'll be like, okay, okay, okay. And then you come back and you, you know, have them come back and you talk to them. And how's that going? Like, I never took it. And I'm like, well, why not? And I'm like, well, I was afraid of side effects. Or I don't feel like it's necessary. um, Or, you know, or they maybe take it for a couple of days. I didn't feel any different. Um, And so I think that um, there are certain – just kind of anecdotally with these groups, sort of the the groups of patients and all of this, um, it seems like group one and group four have, you know, like the people who are more compliant. Or compliant and don't ask any questions in the group that's just like, nah, I'm not gonna yeah. take it. Um, Culturally, they just they they just are that group that doesn't ask questions at all, um, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's like. Because they just trust in whatever they're being told, mm-hmm. so you know the patient that just kind of takes it blindly that they don't ask questions. Oh, the person in the white coat is telling me to do this. I must have to, you know, I'm, yeah. I must have yeah. to do this. Um, or if it's because they um, they just don't want to ask questions for out of like fear, or they just don't really, you know, and so know they don't, how to ask. They don't know how yeah. to ask. Yeah, and so um, it's it's. I have noticed those correlations, that there are certain groups. And, and again, it kind of goes back to that sort of prejudice about a certain mm-hmm. culture um, where, and, and I've said it before, where it's like, oh, they're probably taking their medication because X, Y, Z, this is what I've sort of anecdotally noticed about this particular population, or probably not taking their medication because this is what I've noticed about this, this yeah. culture. Um, but again, I think it's one of those things that makes me actually ask the question Mm-hmm. Are you taking your medication? Why might you not be taking your co- medication? Mm-hmm. Or if somebody says, yeah, I'm taking it, are you taking it every day? And how are you taking it?
0: Yeah, that's important. <laughs> it's way
1: important because it's you could easily just be like, oh, you're taking your medication, and the person just might be like, yeah, but you don't actually know that that person is taking it once a day instead of twice a day. And you're mm-hmm. sitting here scratching your head, well, well, obviously the medication's not working, so we need to change it or we need to add another one. Where in reality, the patient just wasn't taking it Mm-hmm. right in the first place and it could have been because they didn't understand the instructions or you know maybe once upon a time it was one a day and yeah. didn't realize it was changed to two or whatever so mm-hmm. it's yeah I, culturally there are differences there and, and again it's important to really kind of pay attention to your patients and ask those questions and, and understand that you might not have the same understanding of what they were told you know what I mean like, yeah
0: so there's a lot of patients that obviously don't have the the means to go or don't have insurance to go to the doctor mm-hmm. um how do you kind of deal with patients that don't have access to health care but you know they need health care do you send them to have resources is there help that you're like okay we need to figure something out for this patient or just some patients in general that are. Are like, I don't have money to pay this, and I don't want to deal with it, so I'm not going to deal with it. Like, as a healthcare provider yourself, like, what can you do in those circumstances where it's, like, you need to do this, but you don't have the means or sometimes will to do it because you don't have the money for it, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is, like, to that second part of it is really educating somebody on why it's important. Um, like, diabetes medication, for example, can be really hard to get. Um, even if you have insurance there's some of it that's just can be damn near impossible, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get it and in some cases through a different study that I did, I I found a lot of um, specifically Spanish like monolingual Spanish speaking patients related to diabetes um, if they often don't take their medication if they feel okay um, because they don't understand why it was prescribed to them Mm -hmm. and why it matters in the long term. And so without helping somebody understand why that extra effort or why that extra money needs to be expended, um, it's not gonna happen, right? Mm -hmm. So education is really a good, uh, important part of that. Um, But a lot of times, It depends on the situation, the place I work, you work, right? Mm -hmm. So the resources you have available to. So in family practice, I had a lot of resources available to me. You know, the the medication program allowed patients to to get their medication for, I think, nearly free in some Mm -hmm. cases, or maybe, you know, a couple bucks, um, which could be huge for some patients. And so being able to have access to that was big. Um, being able to have access to other financial aid programs was a huge deal. Sliding scale is a big deal for, mm-hmm. for um, medical care, which in some cases, I think, was even also like a zero fee for some people. Yeah. So, you know, that's huge, but not all places have mm-hmm. that those resources and have the ability to go down to a zero cost. Um, and so it's really hard as a provider uh, when I work like now in a situation where I don't have those resources and I don't have that zero cost mm-hmm. for a patient, but so many of the things that I'm dealing with can potentially be life threatening, mm-hmm. like cancer, or get to the point where you have so many chronic issues you're on a catheter for the rest of your life that then needs to be managed every mm-hmm. every month. Um, is heartbreaking because it's much more challenging to get that care, mm-hmm. but I do as much as I can to try to find help with that and if somebody needs help I or I think I might suspect that they might need help they don't have insurance you know again asking the questions like yeah. do you have help how can I help you um or if their primary care provider happens to be the clinic that I worked with before like it's really important to go back to your primary care provider and talk to them. And I will make the effort and call the primary care provider and say, hey, I need you to help connect this person with X, Y, and Z program or, mm-hmm. or social program in order to help make sure that they get this care that they need. Yeah, um, Doing my best to try to make sure that I'm prescribing medications that are going to be more likely to be covered or, you know, um, more cost-efficient. But it's the system doesn't yeah. work well for... A lot of people, yeah, unfortunately, and I mean, I can only do so much.
0: Yeah, if healthcare was free, do you think that there would still be a barrier based on socioeconomic class and culture to come to the doctor?
1: Yeah, I do.
0: Why is that? Yeah,
1: um, because it is much more than just where the building is located mm-hmm. or you know, your ability to pay for care, um, meeting that yeah. person. In where they are culturally and building a relationship with somebody culturally and being able to do that is um, is I think the the best way to be able to allow somebody to feel comfortable enough getting care. Mm -hmm. If somebody has access to a, a free clinic and they go in but they feel like nobody's really listening to them nobody's taking the time to connect with them either based on their language based on their religious beliefs based on their cultural background and they're just being sort of pushed through the system and you know like oh let's take your vitals and take this medication and come back you know in 6 months or whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't I wouldn't expect a patient of mine if I was treating them like that to go back. And so yeah, I do think that there's that there's other barriers besides the physical and financial you know parts of it um, that are related to the to culture and such on next it it really it's so underappreciated and and I think in some ways underestimated, but starting to become more apparent mm-hmm. how important it is for us as providers to really connect on that basis and try to understand that not everybody is yeah. like whoever it is we are. Yeah, you know, um, and to really listen and ask the right questions.
0: Yeah, as a Latina woman, I my culture I can say people don't go to the doctor often unless it's like they're really sick Mm -hmm. and when they go it's probably chronic Mm -hmm. and they are not educated and um sometimes they're like well if the doctor didn't do anything for me the first time I went Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go back yeah have you experienced that with a lot of Latino culture yeah patients um, and how do you kind of go about that because I feel like if you if they go and and you they see that you didn't do anything for them they're not going to come back. They're not coming back. Yeah, <laughs> they're not coming back. And sometimes it's hard because what
1: I might do doesn't make them feel any different. <laughs> yeah. And so they might think well I didn't do anything. I just gave pills and said take these. And so it's about really educating about the physiology of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody comes in and, you know, they were feeling totally fine, never wanted to see the doctor, didn't ever feel like they had to, ended up in the hospital because they were in, you know, diabetic ketoacidosis, their sugars were like crazy high, and all of a sudden they find out they're diabetic, right? Mm -hmm. Now they have to be managed on this They They don't know what that means. They go from being in the hospital setting to then being told that they have to do this, and they have to see a regular doctor, and that could just be like that's a lot right That's mm-hmm. overwhelming mm-hmm. and then they go and they see a, they see somebody um, and all you know we might be doing is just like oh here's some here's some pills here's some insulin this is how you take it um, see me again in three months well <laughs> yeah that's not really teaching anybody <laughs> about what is going on it's not helping anybody understand the reason for that medication so really educating somebody on look, this is what diabetes means. Mm-hmm. This is why you need to take the medication. This is what the medication does. This is how diabetes can, you know, affect you mm-hmm. in the long run. This is how it can literally shorten your life or make you very debilitated where your quality of life becomes really, you know, yeah. par. Yeah. Without doing that and, and really almost telling the truth. Um I think that, yeah, a lot of patients, they're, they're not going to come back, they're, they're going to continue to go about their life and think, I feel fine, I don't need to go back in. Mm-hmm. And then you see them, you know, and they got to get their foot cut off because they haven't been managing their diabetes or, or all of a sudden their vision, they're like, I can't see very well. And it's like, yeah. well, your, your sugars have been way out of control and now your vision is damaged permanently.
0: Um, and a lot of them don't realize that you can actually get your hands, feet amputated. Yes. Because of your diabetes sure. it's not controlled. True.
1: Sure. In some cases, they actually think the medication, specifically insulin, and this is back in that study that I did. Mm-hmm. Some people actually do believe that insulin causes you to lose
0: mm-hmm. your limbs,
1: like your feet. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I don't want to take insulin because I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose my feet and my legs if I take. That's, yeah. That's the not opposite. Yeah. <laughs> that's the absolute opposite. And this is
0: why I think it's important that people get educated uh-huh. about healthcare and I feel like there's just a lack there overall. As a physician, have you found any research or have experienced how certain races have certain profiles?
1: Um what do you mean by profiles? Cuz
0: there's like is there a certain race or culture that you're like oh yeah these are more predominant to have this type of disease or are more predominant to be like have um genetically speaking more of a certain disease or certain things happen to them because of their cultural background yeah um
1: in terms of race um yes there's there's certain there's certain categories um so like, for example, um, research about um, like African Americans and prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, that seems to kind of go, um, There's uh, African Americans are a higher risk of prostate cancer. There's a lot of research on that, right? Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily having anything to do with your socioeconomic status or your mm-hmm. culture. It's just simply based on your race. Yeah. Um, in terms of culture, I would say kind of that's more potentially related to socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. and not culture specifically, Um, and there's a lot of research about that related to what's called social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. So um, the simple things like your access to transportation, safe um, um, areas to walk in, like sidewalks, are there sidewalks in your community so that you can walk Mm -hmm. around and get exercise, right? Um, healthy food places so is there a grocery store nearby all of those are considered to be part of the socio or uh, social determinants of health that can affect ultimately somebody's health level and it's very dependent upon the socioeconomic status and, and the so lower socioeconomic status tends to have higher degrees of those social determinants of health that play a much stronger role in in managing health mm-hmm. um, and tends to have a much lower quality of health. That neighborhood tends to have a much lower quality of health. So yeah. um, there's a ton of research on that, and it's starting to become much more prevalent mm-hmm. uh, within the health community to hey, say, hey, pay attention to those things because they matter. You know, Does your patient have access to a refrigerator for that insulin? Does your patient have access to transportation back and forth? If they don't, how can we, you know, make sure that they are not missing their appointments and that they're coming when they need to come um, or, you know, something like that. So it's yeah. knowing what those are. Again, that's paying attention to your patients, right? And asking those questions, finding out what those barriers might be, and then figuring out how to get around them so yeah. that you can make sure your patient is getting the care that they need on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and I have got to work with you and you ask, some of these questions as a routine for your patients mm-hmm. and not a lot of other providers do that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know sometimes providers are, are busy and you know, they have other patients to see or you know, just time-wise um, But I feel like you actually take the time to be like, okay, do you have access to this? Do you have access to come to appointments? Mm-hmm. You know, fog risk um, Financially, are you okay? Do you have a safe place to live? I think that's very important when it comes to this because if do you agree that based on all of those where they live if there's fast foods in every corner instead of fresh vegetables and you know fruits mm-hmm. or if there's a park that they can go walk to if there's a clinic nearby like they're not going to be going to healthcare because it's not somewhere there for them close for them to access yeah and then if providers are not asking the right questions then it's like things get missed
1: yeah it's all about asking the right questions. Yeah. When, you, when you go to medical school, you go to PA school, you go to nursing school, all of it, everything they tell you that the 80% of being able to, to, um, to like diagnose a patient, 80% of, of your ability to do that has to do with history. Yeah. It's all about history. Only 20% is the actual exam. And in most cases, you can figure out what's going on with somebody based on the words that they're telling you, mm-hmm. um, as long as you're asking the right questions right? So yeah. they teach you how to ask the questions. And part of that is now, I think, is now starting to come up. And I, and I think part of it was my training and mm-hmm. why I ask these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trained in Oakland, and it's just, it's a it's a place that likes to work a lot with, the school likes to work a lot with more like underserved populations. And yeah. so understanding what those um, social determinants of health, those barriers might be, and how it relates to the ability to take to care for another human mm-hmm. is really important, because if yeah. you're not taking those in consideration, you're never gonna help anybody, you know? I could continue to give you this medicine, but if you can't actually afford it, then you're clearly not taking it, mm-hmm. and you're not gonna get any better, yeah. and you're gonna continue to come in, and you're probably gonna keep telling me you're taking it, because you might be too embarrassed to tell me that you can't afford it, and then I'm sitting here like, well, Clearly something is going on and I can't help you. And so I think being able to understand why somebody might not be able to care for themselves is the best way to actually help somebody. Yeah. You know, I mean and doing my, my MPH, my Masters of Public Health also I learned a lot more about this. And I have such a passion for being able to to provide that assistance to people to help themselves. Mm -hmm. It's a team effort. It's not a me telling you what you have to do It's a this is how you can help yourself. This is how I'm gonna help you help yourself And this is where I can fill in the gaps where you might not be able to do it
0: Mm -hmm. As a provider, I mean you said you you try to educate your patients as much as you can about healthcare when they come right, Mm -hmm. but is there other ways that you or as the community we can do to kind of have patients be more aware of health care and want to go to the doctor and have preventative care instead of going when they actually need to go because they're sick, right? Yeah,
1: I think, yeah, there is. There's a lot of different things that can be done. And in some communities, they're really good about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about actually physically going to places and providing, whether it be literature or, um, you know, like pop-up clinics or something like that. But, but also making sure it's within whatever language is, you know, the, of the population you're going to mm-hmm. that that's available um, and taking um, note of any cultural sensitivities that you might need to to consider in order to provide that that information to populations um, I think that there's I've, I've even done some research on how providing that information early on in childhood um, can not just to the kids But to the parents of those kids, like in school, having programs about exercise and nutrition and how it um, is important, why it's important to do that now. Um, And there's research that shows that the more you educate the parents and and children at that young age, the better that they're going to be in terms of health long term they're going to have fewer chronic health problems yeah. um they're going to be more productive adults because and to society because they're not missing school or missing work all the time right um so they can continue to tr- contribute to society they're not using a lot of medical costs and emergency room costs because mm-hmm. they're overall healthier in general so starting early on is so important the problem is infrastructure and yeah. if communities don't have you know, the ability to do that. There's not, you know, the public health department doesn't have the resources. They don't have the the bandwidth to do it. The money's not there. Um, all sorts of things. You yeah. know, if you're in a much more rural, rural community. <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, or versus it's a really, yet. a city community. Yeah. So there's so many different, and it's it's so sad because it's like, here are the answers. This is the answer. So why don't we just do that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, but but in so many places we can't and and I would love more than anything to be able to be part of doing that but there's so many there's there's barriers to me doing that yeah. you know um but yeah I mean it's
0: I mean I can test that it is very education patient education about their own health is very important because I remember growing up we would never go to the doctor unless it was our vaccines Right, as a child, you go for your vaccines because you need them from school. Or if you're really sick, well, you will go. But parent-wise, my parents never went to go get a colonoscopy when they was needed. They Mm -hmm. didn't go get their physicals when it was needed. Mm -hmm. They only really went when they were super sick. And if anything, they would do home remedies, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there was a lack of them knowing, well, I'll just drink this tea or this medicine from Mexico that I got, and I'll be fine, right? But they don't really educate themselves with how your body works. Yeah. Um, And so now that I started working in healthcare, it's like, my dad's like, I'm like, did you schedule your colonoscopy? Yeah, I had it done. I actually need to go get my physical. My mom the other day was like, "Um, (laughs) I know you're going to get me in trouble, but I I did my... um, Fecal test. Yeah. He's like, I got it done and I send it, and I'm I am scheduled to have a physical. And I was <laughs> like, okay, good. good. So like, I feel like the more education you give, and mm-hmm. the more you sit and explain, because I would sit with them and explain, you know what, this is what happens. This is what mm-hmm. what, what can happen if you don't do this. We mm-hmm. you don't, you know, catch it on time or something. And I feel like they're more like okay, they're they're more proactive about their health. Same yep. thing with my siblings. I feel like they're like, okay, well, I'm saying, like, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor, mm-hmm. right? And so it is very important to educate, especially the older population, mm-hmm. especially in Latino cultures. It's like they, they need a little bit more of that education and being proactive from us younger because then we're the ones that are trying to make it better so that right it's better for our kids, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I mean, be, me being in health, it took me being in healthcare for that to happen. But if there's people that are not in healthcare, it's like, how do they start being proactive if they don't know yeah so this is where it's very important to have outreach uh to communities and and I I think that schools are the honestly is the easiest way to go about it because there's schools everywhere
1: yeah right and obviously the sooner that you get it done elementary school is the is better but you can even do middle school and, and even in high school yeah um I mean I remember taking a health class I think it was like between junior high and high school, but I don't really remember much about that health class, to Mm -hmm. be perfectly honest. Um, I always had an interest in medicine, so I was a little bit, I always thought a little bit differently about health and all of that. Mm -hmm. But nothing about that health class, like, sticks out in my brain. Like, oh, I remember learning that in health class, you know? Yeah. Um, Having basic knowledge of, we exercise because it helps our... Uh, Brain development it helps our muscle development. It keeps our heart strong. It keeps our blood moving all of those things That's why we need to exercise and as long as our blood is going our muscles are strong Mm -hmm. Then we can prevent x y and z we even dental care like you know literally there's so many people that don't know that if you don't brush your teeth, you can have heart disease by not yeah. brushing your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Things <laughs> are connected. Yes. Everything is connected, yeah. and so without understanding that connection exists, mm-hmm. you're not going to change your habits. You're yeah. not going to do anything to prevent. You know, you're not going to exercise. You're not going to eat right. You're not going to. You, you'll start smoking. You know, like all of those things, and it's it's child, but it's also parent responsibility. Yes. Because the parents are the ones who are buying the food for the kids. Mm-hmm. Parents are the ones who are going to be like, "Hey, you need to go get your exercise today." So involving parents and kids, teaching the kids in school, but then I also had this like thought of doing, like, um, parent teacher like an outreach, like a like a like a town hall sort of situation is like, let's teach the parents this general idea of health and this is what your kids are learning and mm-hmm. this is why this is important and this is why you need to promote this with your family and your yeah. kids and also don't forget about your health right yeah. so it's it seems so easy
0: but it's so hard but it's so hard because pa- parents are busy it's easier to go through mcdonald's drive through than go to the grocery store and cook dinner sometimes which yeah. which i get but i think yeah. this is where you need to be more mindful of what you're teaching your kids exactly because then they're going to end up doing the same thing right yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's it's one thing to be like okay so we had school and then we had soccer practice for one and then we had baseball practice for the other and then we've got dance like later a couple of hours later and like how in the world are we going to get dinner it's one thing to like do that sometimes yeah right mm-hmm. it's an entirely another thing to be like this is the lifestyle that we have right and 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 to be like okay hey this is like a this is a special occasion like you know that's important not to eat like this all the time we yeah. need to make sure we're always getting our vegetables and blah, blah, blah fruits and like my kids are they drink water they don't they're not juice drinkers they don't drink soda they drink water what do you want to drink water milk those are your choices like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know yeah. um because like I know how good water is for you and teaching those habits younger yeah is what's going to help that preventative those preventative measures that that's what's going to put that in place it's going to help instill that Mm -hmm. um you know that thought process and and ability to be able to be a healthier person
0: yeah i agree yeah is there any concluding thoughts or comments or anything you want to add
1: i don't think so i talked a lot
0: (laughs) (laughs) we touched on a lot of good points (laughs) so thank you thank you so much for doing this yeah of course this was good thanks for thinking about me of course i always do All right. Thank you, everybody.